If you're going through the K-1 visa process or are now adjusting your status, it will be no surprise to you that this is a tough, complicated and slow system. But it wasn't always that way. Doing this for th more than 30 years, they used to be easier. It used to be easier. That's Charles Cook and I'm Dan Gooding. He's an immigration lawyer with three decades of experience dealing with this system and helping people to become permanent residents in the US. And then finally you come into the US, you get married and you get to once again deal with what could be the worst possibly managed agency in the federal government, the USCIS. In this episode, you'll hear extended clips of my conversation with Charles, including his take on delays and whether the K-1 is worth it or not. I hope that this is a really useful insight into the whole process as an immigrant fiance. My name is Charles Cook. I am managing partner at Cook Baxter Immigration. I'm also a member of the Impact Litigation uh, Alliance. I'm a former president of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, and we do lots of green cards for married couples. I sat down to chat with Charles in April of 2022. If you've listened since the beginning, you'll know that many of us had to join a lawsuit to get our K-1 cases moved forward, and Charles was part of the team working on that case, known as Milligan v. Pompeo. COVID-19 has been used as a reason for why cases have been so delayed and people across the immigration system have been left waiting. And that is where our conversation started. Well, let's be clear. I don't think COVID had jack squat to do with how long immigration is taking to do adjustments. I think it's UNO, one, I was going to say UNO, first, is the Trump administration told USCIS to slow down. They literally told them, just don't work. I mean, they, they were authorized by their bosses to not work. So if you had a choice between working and not working, what would you do? Slow it down, slow walk it. Look for every minutia that's a problem. So COVID is not why this happened. This is management incompetence, as a second reason, and Trump forcibly telling this. And third, the Biden administration not cleaning house. If they had put me in charge of immigration, I would have fired every single one of those managers Say, all you line officers, get your butts back to work now. We got quotas to meet. Um, so, you know, the bottom line is this. You know, this is, your USCIS is part of the, K, the whole K-1 process. From the beginning, you're at USCIS. They dilly-dally, taking up time to do their K-1. Then you got to go, go over to the National Visa Center and get to the consulate. And they put their own intentional delays on this. And then finally, you come into the U.S., you get married and you get to once again deal with what could be the worst possibly managed agency in the federal government, the USCIS. So you file, you get married of 90 days, of course, and you have to file the adjustment of status along with the rest of the documentation, your employment authorization document, your advanced parole, your affidavit of support and all the supporting documents. Today, Dan, I get an email from somebody who was also a plaintiff in one of our cases and their adjustment had just been denied because he didn't properly fill out the one of the forms and then given the wrong type of birth certificate. And it turns out, having reviewed it, they made a mistake. So you file all these things, and immigration is about, right now, anywhere from 8 to 15 months processing the adjustment of status. For many people, they will get an adjustment before their work card and travel document comes. Um, and they may, 
or may not be interviewed by the immigration service on the adjustment of status. It is it is a process fraught with uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It seems to be in kind of talking with the UK cohort, obviously, like they're all over the states. And depending on where they are, it's completely different timelines, completely different methods. Like, you know, loads of people had RFEs. I haven't had an RFE, but they've managed to spell my middle name wrong on all of my case, despite <laughs> uh, despite it being flagged at biometrics and uh, me putting in like two service requests kind of thing. Um, and I tried to get through to someone today. And obviously, like, wait, if you wait, try- wait, you called 1-800-USELESS. And yeah. you couldn't get through to anybody. I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm I got told by it. I got told by the computer that if I kept asking for a service agent, they at the machine would hang up on me. Did you just keep repeating uh, it, service yeah, agent, service yeah. agent, service. <laughs> that reminds me. Uh, recently, there's an there's another part of immigration called immigration court, and it's all electronic. You have to put your name in, and the passwords mm. just randomly change. You need a new password. So finally, I got fed up, and my new password was. EOIR sucks 24 slash seven, which made all the criteria for a password. Yeah. And it came up and said, you cannot use this password because it has been used too frequently by <laughs> other people. <laughs> and I love this system. When we kind of, when you get to the point of getting the K1 and obviously making this move, you kind of aren't fully aware of how much nonsense there is to go through once you get to the States, I suppose. And that's one of the things that we want to cover now is sort of explaining, yeah, there's there's even more paperwork to do. Well, you know, the, the whole frustrating thing about this is one, getting hold of immigration. Uh, I mean, think about it. You have this one case. You have all these, I have thousands of cases. And this doesn't happen in every case. But, you know, doing this for thir- more than 30 years, they used to be easier. It used to be easier. You know, one of the detriments of the Trump administration was they they made it okay, but they made it a badge of honor to look for reasons to deny a case. Immigration, when I was younger, used to look for ways to approve your case. How much effort does it take to call up and say, hey, Dan, this is uh, Bob from the service center. I see your name is Peeler. Uh, Is that really your name? I mean, that seems weird to me. And you say, no, Mike, Bob, that's it's Peter. Oh, I'll fix it. Thank you very much. Instead of sending you a written notice or making you come to a service center or no. A, what, and they used to do this. This used to be something they would do. Mm. Um, but one thing that most people don't know is most of these uh, officers who adjudicate cases are working from home. Yeah. Most of they're not. That's why COVID didn't affect them. I mean, it affected the state department because they didn't go to the department, right? They didn't go to the consulate. These sure. guys were working from home beforehand. Yeah. It didn't change how they operated. So it's, it's extraordinarily frustrating. I will tell you that one of the best ways to get their attention, instead of you calling, is you contact your U.S. senator. They have the senators, and lawyers used to have this. We don't anymore. They have a backdoor. Sure. And they have a backdoor to what's called a congressional liaison. And uh, you generally get an answer within three or four days from okay. most senators. Now, if your senator is some jerk like Ted Cruz, all right, don't waste your time. But, you know, you have good senators like I do. You know, they actually stay on top of, of requests like this. So using senators. And I'd also, instead of calling 800, I actually would try to use Emma first. By the way, Emma is the virtual or live chat on the USCIS website. Do you know why they call it Emma, right? No. You wonder what a weird name, right? Yeah. Emma Lazarus wrote The Colossus, which is on the base of the Statue of Liberty. Oh, wow. You're tired, you're poor, you're huddled <laughs> masses, you're... Yeah, very clever, right, Emma? Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, not so much. No. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I I find that uh, we tend to get a tend to not all we tend to get a better response from Emma. And and one of the reasons is, and I've been to one of these call centers that immigrant when I was a president, I went to a call center in Kentucky. It's in an old Kmart in the middle of some rural crappy town in Kentucky. And those people have no access. When they answer the phone, they have no access to the immigration system because they're not immigration employees. They are independent contract, contractors mm-hmm. working for the government. But all they can see is what you see when you go to USCIS.gov and put your case number. Yeah. That's, and then they have a series of scripts they read. But they can't help you, which is why you always want to talk to secondary officer, yeah. secondary officer, why you ask for those. Yeah, yeah. So most people don't realize that, that if you need to get through like that, you know, there are, there are tricks to the trade, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's the thing. And I mean, like, like you say, even for someone who's been working in this field for, for decades to kind of try and navigate this <laughs> oh, <it's laughs> just insane. seems nuts. Well, the idea that you call them, or we'll call you back in the next 72 hours. Yeah, sure. We won't tell you when. But if you don't answer our phone, you go to the back line. Hey, but a guy today called and said, I missed the call. What do I do? Start all over again. Yeah. That's, that's stupid. Yeah. That is when the word service should not be in the name of the USCIS. The old name you may not know is used to be called the INS. You see in movies like the INS. We used to call it the immigration no service. That's what it was. It was just like <laughs> service should not be in your name. No. Agency would be better because you're not giving any damn service. Obviously there were these three measures or what have you that were announced to supposedly help people in these situations and get things processed. What are your thoughts on, on those? Say that again. I didn't quite understand what they're um, doing. So they announced kind of the things about sort of fast tracking adjustment of status and things <laughs> like that, um, which, you know, if, if you've got a spare two and a half grand line around, no, well, then first of all, great. that will never apply to adjustment of status applications mm. ever. Why? Because everybody will pay it. Mm. And then everybody's in the same line. Two, they have literally no capacity to do that. That they even said that in their announcement. One of the things they said is, hey, pay us an extra $2,500 for your EAD. But we will not offer this for EADs until 2025. So, I mean, it's, it's a meaningless publicity thing, but it, it, it will never happen. They, you know how many people they would have to hire you know, before they got the money? So here's the problem. It's the chicken and egg thing. Yeah. They need the bodies to do the expedite requests, but to pay the bodies, they need the expedite requests. So if Congress, and, and most people don't know, immigration is generally run by pay, fees. It's a fee generation agency. They don't make money from the, the government, doesn't give them tax money. So unless they get an extra bolt of money to hire people in advance mm-hmm. and then take the money and train them, which takes months, by the way. So it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. No. I mean, you mentioned about obviously that the Biden administration is just not really bothered to fix the the damage done by by Trumps. Can you see that happening at all anytime soon? Uh, not with the current people in charge. You know, I know the people that he's nominated. I've known them for years. They're good human beings. Mm. They're not good managers. I mean, I say that out loud. They, you know, you need to go in and do. You basically need to do what Trump did. And force people out. One of the things that happens in administrations is called burrowing. So let's say, you know, you, you, you get appointed to a position by the Trump, which means you get fired when the new president comes in. But then you find a career position. So you burrow kind of like a, a mole into the ground mm-hmm. and you're there wreaking havoc legally and they can't get rid of you in our service, in our civil service system, you know. 
the Brits invented civil service. We perfected it. So <laughs> you, get, you get in there and they can, I fire all those people. I said, I'm going to, yeah. you know what? I can't fire you. You're now assigned to the Anchorage, Alaska field office. Enjoy your life. <laughs> um, boom. But Bush did this. The, Bush number two did this and got rid of a bunch of appeals court judges in immigration and they quit. And as a result, a whole bunch of terrible decisions came out that they were stopping from happening. So they're, the Democrats simply do not like the smell of blood, whereas Republicans, they thrive on the smell of blood. They get in there and they'll just wreak havoc because mm. there's nothing that stands in their way when they decide we need to get this done. Democrats, yeah. oh, we, we just have to be nice to people. If we're nice to people, it will all work out. Kumbaya. Mm. No. No, no. <laughs> no. Right hire me, <laughs> and I would fix this agency in six months. Mm. All I need is six months. We then moved on from the state of the immigration service to talk about adjustment of status. What are some of the things maybe that people should bear in mind when, when it comes to you know they've got married, they're now applying for adjustment of status? Well, first of all, I would tell you to use a lawyer. Honestly, uh, depending on where you are in the country, remember immigration's job. Their job in this is to see. If you have a real marriage, just because you got a fiance visa doesn't mean they think it's real. And again, under Trump, they were looking for any reason in my case. So if you do get interviewed, they may separate you. They may say, OK, bring all your documents in, which they do an adjustment. You go to an interview, they give you a list of things to bring in. Maybe you didn't bring the right stuff. Maybe you actually live in the 21st century and you don't commingle your money. Maybe you have different bank accounts. Maybe you only just got here. Your name's not on the lease. Only your spouse's name. Your U.S. spouse on the lease. You're not on the lease. Um, maybe you don't have to drive a car. So you're not on car insurance. Maybe it's not a real marriage then. Maybe your pictures don't look real. So, I mean, using a lawyer, what and what a lawyer does, just that people realize, one, we make sure you dot all the I's, cross all the T's. That's important. But when we go to an interview, our job is not necessarily to convince the officer that you should be approved. Most times our job is to make sure the officer is treating you fairly and is not going off on a tangent. I, and, and I can't care. I've done thousands of interviews. Um, and I can probably count on three or four hands um, how many times I've had to intervene with an officer, call a supervisor. You know, we're, not, we're done here. Most times I'm just, and the thing is, the officers know that. So, you know, cooks in the room. And this is true for a lot of lawyers, right? You go there enough, you know, if he's here, I'm, I'm, I better dot all my I's and cross all my T's. Otherwise, my supervisor is going to get called. For more of Charles' advice on AOS, make sure you listen to the previous episode as he's got some great tips and tricks there. But once that green card is in your hands, the whole process isn't over. Spoiler alert. In a couple of years, another interview awaits and then you can get your more permanent visa. Once you get your green card, if, now here's, the, here's where it gets interesting. If you've been married, this is why maybe something that's taking longer is better. If you've been married for more than two years, when your green card is approved, your permanent residence, you get a 10-year green card. But if you're one day less than two years, you only get a conditional card good for two years. Then you have to go back one year and nine months later within that last 90-day window and pay more money and file more evidence of the last two years of your marriage that you're either, one, still married, and then you file a joint petition. Or if you're divorced, you file a petition yourself. At the time of your divorce, you don't need to wait to two years then. That includes evidence of your good faith marriage or that you were abused in some way. 
Okay. Uh, and then you could ask for a waiver and then only you sign the form, but don't ever sign your spouse's name to the form. And here's one tricky part. If they spouse won't sign and you're still married, you can't sign the form. You can't send it in. So if you're separated, well, I don't know sure I want a divorce. Uh, you better have a come to Jesus meeting because you're not filing the removal of conditions, which means your green card ends in two years. Once you file that form, you get an extension for 18 months of your green card, which will take all 18 months to get interviewed or get approved uh, with more evidence of your marriage. It's, it can, that second stage actually is when immigration provides, puts more scrutiny on the marriage because it's the permanent green card. But for example, if you filed your, then let's say it, we're a year from now and you still don't have your adjustment approved and it's 23 months, you stop pushing immigration <laughs> and you wait until 24 months and then you push them forward because then you're getting a permanent green card. Sure, sure. Um, to the trade that you uh, learn. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess also it's um, worth noting because obviously with all of this, you kept constantly told, let us know if you move, let us know if you move. So it's even important over those two years to kind of maintain that, remember that if you do move to let them know your address, all that kind of stuff, because they're going to be, they're going to be back in touch with you when that year and nine months rolls. Well, by, they may or may not send you something. Mm. I mean, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. If you've got, you should set up an online account. If you're doing mm -hmm. your own application, set up the online account Absolutely. Um, and then do check, but you need to mark your calendar. It's your responsibility. Because if you don't file it on time, technically, they're supposed to put you into deportation proceedings. And they do put you into deportation proceedings. And That's then you got to have a trial about your marriage in front of a judge. It's Then you're definitely hiring a lawyer. Mm. Uh, and it's definitely going to cost you a pretty penny to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that I've got people who have been listening to this who are um, going through the initial K-1 process right now and obviously then looking ahead to when they can move, whenever that may be. What are your bits of advice for people going down the K-1 route now versus getting married in a different oh, country and doing I think you know my route? opinion on this, Dan. I think you know. I think the K-1 sucks. I do. I think it's a gigantic waste of money. Just have the U.S. citizen spouse go to wherever you live, get married, file the I-130. It's going to be faster in the long run because you're going to come into the U.S. on a green card. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and we know that marriage cases are... Why did we have to file Milligan and King and Ponomarenko and all the rest we have to file? Because K-1s are not treated as a priority mm. and U.S. citizens are. Yeah. It's quite possible that you get here before a K-1 filed at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and forget about the whole K-3 thing where the visa for a U.S. citizen spouse, they created that back in the 90s because they were taking two, three years, four years mm. to do a an I-130. And now I-130s and K-1s take about the same amount of time. So why do it? Why do it? It's just easier. To, that's my opinion on K-1. Sure. I know it's cool. 98 fiance. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> but it's not yeah yeah we've definitely talked about that and how it is not at all like a reality show no, no, i'm just not a big k1 fan and i generally to people come in to talk to me i generally have that same talk mm. look just go get married unless there's yeah, some yeah. compelling reason and what i do ask here's what i do ask people then where do you want to get married because mm. that should determine what you do yeah well, i would like to get married in front of my friends in a cathedral in, in milan all right then get an i-130 
Yeah. Or I want to get married in Vegas by Elvis. All right, then do a K do a K one. Yeah. That's really how you determine what to use. But generally speaking, just get married abroad. It's just mm. easier. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I think like obviously we didn't know. I mean, our paperwork went in, but the day before New York went into lockdown, like oh, you know, and and so looking back now, I think if we'd known what was going to happen, we would have definitely done the other route because it would have been absolutely. so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you again, Dan, for all you do. And thanks oh. for bringing light to this issue. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> thank you so Take much care. and have a good Bye-bye. rest of your night. Bye. Well, once again, thank you to Charles for his time and work with us immigrants. As I said, you can hear more from him in the previous episode and his Twitter and website are linked in the description. Next time, it's all about the waiting game because whilst you're waiting for your green card, there's not a lot to do. We're 10 episodes in now and I am so glad that you're all here with me on this journey. If you've got any questions or want to be involved, drop me a message on Twitter or Instagram at Immigrant Fiancé. 